At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This is our vacation Bible school week this week. Um, it begins on Tuesday. It runs through Friday. And uh, it's a big deal for us here because we're going to be welcoming in about 1,000 people this week. Uh, when you count the kids as well as the volunteers who are going to be helping to serve them, it is a, it is a big week here at Wildwood. And, and our, our VBS uh, themes and our curriculum are things that are developed here locally by our team. Um, so all the decorations you see and the activities your kids do and the, the curriculum that is written is all locally, locally grown. But when we think about that theme for this year, it is this theme of look. And basically, we're, we're inviting children and families and individuals and all of us here to look around at the world that God created and use it as inspiration for us to worship Him. And over the next several days, we're going to be inviting kids along four themes, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We're going to first invite them really to look up and to to look at the creation and how it displays God's greatness. And we're going to do that by looking at Genesis 1 and the creation account. And then we're going to invite them to look around. And as they look around, that they will see that all the people are created by God and for his purpose. And we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 5 and a number of other themes inside of Scripture that talk about how we are created to live in relationship with God. And then on Thursday, we're going to talk about looking within. And as we look within, we're going to see from the Genesis 3 story that sin has entered mankind and sin has even entered our lives. And so we have fallen short of the glory of God and we are in need of a Savior. And we're going to see that on the third day. And then we'll come in Friday and we'll talk about looking to Jesus. And specifically on that day, we're going to look at how we have an opportunity to offer a blessing through Jesus to others, specifically thinking of Abraham's story and how God said, I am blessing you to be a blessing to others. And so we're going to wrap up our week by encouraging our children and and young people to have a testimony for Jesus everywhere they go. But we're really excited and looking forward to the week in front of us. But it is all wrapping around this theme of look. And so as we begin today with this theme of of look, I, I want you to do this. I want you to take a moment and I want you just to look around this room. Just take a moment and and look around this room. Just see what, what you can see. Oh, wow. Isn't it amazing how much light helps you look, right? We take out the light and it's very hard to look. But with light in a location, looking is possible. When the light goes out, everything that is in here was still here. But without light, we cannot see it. And friends, this morning, I I want us to, to look at Psalm 19 together. Because in Psalm 19, what we see is that God, who created all things, has shined a set of lights into this world so that we might look around and know something about him. 
The light that he shines is the, the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars, the, the light that, that lights up our sky, but also the light of Scripture. And we're going to see that in Psalm 19. This psalm, these 14 verses, are, are really a phenomenal set of verses. C.S. Lewis said of them this, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalms, in one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 19 together as we see that it invites us, you and I, to look around at the world around us and understand who we are, who God is, and to worship Him. I want to read the verses to Psalm 19 first, and then I'm going to back up and we'll, we'll look at them together. Uh, we often stand during singing here at Wildwood. And so as we look at this psalm, which is really a song, um, I'm going to read it for us, but I want to read it while we stand. So would you stand while we read Psalm 19 here? It says this is a, a psalm of David. David writes and says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth... In the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in those 14 verses, we're going to see a couple of things today. A couple of the lights that God has shined inside of this world so that we might see and understand who he is. Well, what are those lights and where do we see them inside of this passage? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is this. The sun shines. The sun shines. Now, this is a really important thing, right? Any study of science would reveal the importance of our sun to our solar system, the importance of our sun to our life. But we often take it for granted, right, that the sun shows up every single day. In Oklahoma, it's often behind those gray things this spring, but it's still there. It still provides 
a source of life for us. And it's important for us to remember that that son was placed there by a God who created us and loves us. What we see in the first six verses of Psalm 19 is that the sun shines. Now, throughout the Psalms, we we see a number of inspirations for worship that are given to us from creation. There are a number of different places in the Psalms where because of God's created world, we are supposed to look at that world and respond in worship. Psalm 19 is one of the most prominent of those, but it's certainly not the only one. Earlier, Greg read from one of the Psalms that invites us to worship, but there are even others in light of creation. One of those is in Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9, the psalmist says this, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Friends, Psalm 33 invites us to stand in awe of God, and the inspiration for that is that we live in a world that we look around at, at the vastness of it, and we think of, of the interconnectedness of it, and how God has spoke word, and it, and it came to be. And in light of that, we are to stand in awe of him and to worship him, even as we look at the world. Psalm 33 makes that clear. But Psalm 33 is not unique in that. As a matter of fact, Psalm 148 also invites us to look around the world and to worship God. And Psalm 148 is an interesting psalm because he walks through all of these different facets of creation, the psalmist does, and sees them all designed to give praise to God. Psalm 148 walks along and he says, begins in verse 2, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. In other words, The angelic realm is created to praise God, and the psalmist recognizes that. Then verse 3, praise him sun and moon and stars. The stars, the moon, the sun, they're, they're designed and created so that God might receive praise. He says, praise you waters above the heavens, verse 4. Praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them, the stars, forever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Verse 7 continues, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all the deeps, fire and hail and snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Friends, everything that we know, everything that we see was created for the purpose of inspiring worship and was created itself for the purpose of giving God glory. So he continues and he says in verse 11 of Psalm 148, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth 
in the heaven. Friends, the Psalms are full of reminders for what we are to do with creation. The world that God created around us is this amazing environment, this amazing interactive exhibit that is designed for us to see and to observe, for us to look at, but for us to allow that creation to inspire us to worship. Whether you're looking through the eye of a telescope at the expanse of space or whether you are watching Nat Geo TV about whales migrating across the Pacific, the design in all of that for God, for you and for me, is for us to look at that design, for us to look at that creativity, for us to look at that greatness and to praise him. It's not for us to capture it. It's not for us to worship that thing. It's for us to allow the things that are created to be giant arrows pointing us to the God who created them. But sadly, the reality is that's not what happens, is it? It's not what happens. What happens often is this, there's a, a short circuit that happens in our system that we look at the created thing, whether it's another person or whether it's something in the created environment around us, and we allow that thing to be worshipped by us. We make that thing, that created thing, ultimate. And in the process, we don't give God the glory for the thing that he created. Romans chapter 1 talks about how we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, where we have taken the created thing and we have exchanged it in its place of honor for the one who created it. And so this morning, as we get ready to look at Psalm 19, I simply want us to, to change our wiring a bit. I want us, instead of thinking about creation as just this amazing thing and, and, and worshiping the creation, I want us to instead look at creation as an opportunity for us to praise the Creator so that we never watch Discovery Channel the same again so that we never watch PBS the same again, so that we never visit a national park the same again, so that we never go to the beach the same again, so that we never look into the telescope the same again, so that what happens is when we look at the created world around us, rather than worshiping that or just allowing it to pass by, when we look at creation, let us allow it to have its intended purpose to inspire us to worship. We see that in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, this psalm of David, we saw began with this statement that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now that's a remarkable statement, that the sky is proclaiming the glory of God. Well, what what does that mean? Let's just think about it this way. When you look up in the sky, how far can you see? Some of you may be able to see farther than others, but none of us can see to its end. If we were to go and find the the, the best high-powered telescope that the world knows right now, and we were to look through that eyepiece, you know what we would see on the other end of it? This is dangerous to do with Dr. Strauss in the room, but I think we would see about 13 billion years away. Is that right? That's the the light years away, 13 billion light years away. What that means is if somebody was sitting on that star 13 billion light years away and waved at us right now, 
we would not see it for 13 billion years. Friends, that is a long ways away. And yet God created the expanse of the heavens so that when we look and we realize how vast and how deep space is and how amazing the constellations are and how wonderful even the weather cycles are and the power of it. In Oklahoma, we're very aware of these things, right? The power of the weather around us. When we see those things, we would not get fixated on those things. But friends, the vastness of space is designed to inform you that God is even bigger than that so that you would give him glory. When we think about not just the vastness of space, when we think of the the beauty of a sunset, it's designed to have our hearts inspired to the reality that God is a beautiful creator. Friends, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then he says this about it. It's fascinating. He says, day to day, it pours out speech. And night to night, it reveals knowledge. In other words, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and one quarter days a year, it's always on. This, this message, this telethon of the glory of God is always on. And not only is it always on, but it's always on everywhere for everyone. Look at what it says in verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out where? Through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This testimony of the glory of God that is going out through the heavens is going out everywhere, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter where you are on the planet. What an amazing testimony that God has given. You know, sometimes when we think about uh, apologetics, one of the questions is, what about those who haven't heard about God? Will God hold them accountable? Well, when I see verses like this, it reminds me that though people may not have heard the whole story, everyone has heard at least some part of it. The message of the glory of God is being broadcast to the universe every moment of every day. He uses a a picture now to narrow in on the sun. We'll talk about why he does that in a moment. But he says in the end of verse 4 through verse 6, he says, In the sky he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, he runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The sun comes up at one side of the sky and it makes its progress all the way to the other. Again and again and again and again. Now, why does he focus on the sun? Well, in part because people throughout history have tended to worship the sun, right? I mean, you look at a lot of ancient religions, whether it's in Egypt or different places, the sun is something that is worshiped. Very clearly, David, in that culture, in that world at that time, wants to let everybody know that the sun is just something that God has placed there, but there's a God who sits behind it. But also, I think the reason why he mentions it is because nothing is hidden from its heat. The sun is all-encompassing. It's, it's piercing. Its heat warms all of us. Its light allows 
all of us to see. If God had created a world without the sun, if he had created this planet without the sun, we wouldn't have made it very long. But if we would have made it, we wouldn't have been able to see the things that we can see. I mean, without the light of the sun, we wouldn't know about the platypus, right? We wouldn't know about the polar bear. We wouldn't know about so many of the things that we know because through the sun, we're able to see the created world around us, and it exposes those things to our eyes. God has created this world to inspire us to worship him, and he lights it up with a giant spotlight every day so that we might explore it more and more. Friends, we are invited to look at the world around us and to allow it to be an inspiration for us to worship God. Warren Wiersbe said this. I I love this, this statement. He says, God's voice of power in creation prepares the way for his voice of grace in the gospel. In other words, creation are the flowers sent to us before God invites us into a relationship. God is wooing us through the created world around us so that we might understand who he is and the gospel might be that much more rich and powerful. But here's the thing. If all we had was the revelation of the Son, S-U-N, We wouldn't know everything, right? We would know that God is great. I mean, anybody who could create all of this, we would know he's creative. We would know he's powerful. But there are whole categories of things that we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't know things about how we relate to him, how we connect to him, how sin is defined and how sin is forgiven. Apart from special revelation from God, we would be missing those things. Wiersbe continues and says this in a beautiful way. He says, the heavens declare God's glory, but the scriptures tell us what God did so that we might share in that glory. See, God doesn't just want us to know that he's great, but he wants us to have a relationship with him, the God of wonder. He wants us to have a relationship with him. So God doesn't just give us the revelation of the Son, but he also gives us the revelation of the Scriptures. And that's exactly what David goes on to explain and to look at in the verses that follow. Because in verse 7 through verse 11 in Psalm 19, David focuses not on the sun that is shining, but he focuses on the Scripture that is shining so that we might know and worship God. And the way that that David does that is he does it in this really interesting way. He walks through a number of different expressions about the Scripture. He calls, actually, the Scripture six different things in those verses. And then he describes the Scripture in six different ways. And then he talks about six different blessings that the Scripture provides in our lives. And we see this from verse 7 on down, really, through verse 9. And I want to just walk through this really quickly so we can see it. I mean, these are all somewhat synonyms, slightly different takes on the same message. But he talks about the the law of the Lord. He says that it's perfect. It revives our soul. It gives us life. He talks about the, the testimonies of the Lord. In other words, the things that God has communicated through the Scripture, through the law, 
help us know something about the lawgiver and the scripture giver. It lets us know something about God himself, and it's always sure. It's always accurate. And it has the blessing that it makes wise the simple. Who is the simple? Friends, that's you and me, okay? Let's, let's just be real about what this is talking about. The simple is us. If you have come to a spot where you realize that, that you are not the Lord of your own life, that there is one who knows more than you, then you are the simple. But through the testimony that God has given us in his word, the simple can be wise. And who doesn't want to be wise? The precepts of the Lord. These are things that are, are direction for everyday life. That's the idea of a precept. They're always right. They're always going to point us in the right direction. Where the Scripture speaks, it's going to point us in the right direction. Therefore, we can rejoice in our heart. We don't have to wander aimlessly and deal with such fear because God has pointed the right direction for our lives to travel. The commandments of the Lord, the things that he tells us, we are appointed to do these things. The commandments of the Lord, they're pure. They're pure. There's no ulterior motive. God isn't messing with us. He wants our eyes to be open to the reality of what is actually there. Then he uses this statement about the fear of the Lord, and I think that's the most unique of the list. I mean, when you talk about law and testimony and precept and commandments and rules, those are things that we think about when we think of the Word of God. But he here describes the, the fear of the Lord in connection to the Word. But I think it's an appropriate thing because this is a book that inspires us to have a deep respect and reverence for God. It's, if you notice on the, on the binding, it, it's not just the book. It says the holy book. Not that this book is somehow special in its binding or, or cover, but the content of it is holy, that God has given us his, his fearful, that we might be in reverence of it words that are totally clean and they endure forever. So we need not worry that we're following the next fad when we follow the teaching of God's Word. The rules of the Lord, thinking about His decisions, the case law, if you will, are true, and they're righteous altogether. Friends, when you look at what David is saying in this psalm, what, what, he, what he's doing is he's, he's making a case for how attractive the Word of God is, and what a blessing it is to all who hold it. In other words, this book is a light that God has given to you to light up things that you would not know otherwise, so that we might understand not just that He's great, but that He's loving, so that we would understand not just that He's powerful, but that He's just. So that we would understand not just that he's creative, but that he's holy. So that we would understand not just that one day wrath might come as we look at doomsday clocks and projections that this world has a shelf life, that one day it will end. That we, not only do we observe something like that, but this book and these words let us know how we might survive on that day, how we might stand forgiven 
before God when we meet him face to face. Friends, God has given us a gift that is is pure and is right and is perfect and is clean and is true. He wants to revive our soul. He wants to make us wise. He wants us to be rejoicing in our hearts. He wants our eyes to be open so that we can see. He wants us to endure forever. He wants us to experience his righteousness. Because of all that, he concludes this section by this this statement in verse 10 and 11, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This word, when we rightly understand what it is, is a light that is so attractive. We ought to be drawn to it like a moth to a flame. We ought to seek to be in it because of the gift that God gives us through it, and because of the God we get to know on the other side of it. Verse 11, moreover, by this word, the servant is warned, and in keeping these words, there is great reward. Friends, God has not just lit up the created world through the sun. He's lit up the spiritual world, and even our understanding of the created world in which we live through the Scripture. God wants us to look around, so He lights it up for us. But here's where we need to end. We need to end by, by thinking about this. If, if, if God has lit up these things, how are we supposed to respond? In light of the sun and the Scripture that are shining, how are we to respond to these things that we see as we look around? Well, four different things I want us to to think about today. Certainly not comprehensive, but four things for us to consider. The first way that we can respond in light of the sun and the Scripture that are shining is this. We can look. We can look. If God is communicating His glory through the created world, if God is communicating His glory through the Scripture, then we ought to spend some time just looking around with that perspective in mind. And here's the thing. God is not just communicating blindly. He's communicating specifically to you and to me. You know, one of the things that happens in our social media world today is that we communicate with nobody in particular. I mean, think about before social media existed, how strange it would be for me just to walk out on my street corner outside my house and just start announcing things or just showing pictures up like this, right? I'm going to communicate to nobody in general, but to everybody, you know, specifically, I'm just going to walk out with a bunch of pictures and go, hey, look at this, look at this, this was my weekend, how was your weekend? People would think I was crazy, right? But in the social media world, we do that all the time. We, we post so that all of our friends might be able to see it, right? We post to Twitter so that anybody who follows us might be able to see it. We've been programmed to just communicate with nobody out there. And I think as a result, we get used to just kind of tuning things out because we think it's not really for us. You know what? If, if David really wanted me to know that, he would call me directly. He wouldn't just post it to his Twitter feed. That's the way that we think. 
And we can begin to think that way about God, that somehow the, the knowledge of God is just a generic communication to humanity in general and not to you specifically. But I think we see a couple of evidences inside of this passage that let us know that God is communicating specifically to you and to me. And we see that in the two different words that are used for God inside of this passage. In chapter 19, verse 1, the Hebrew word for God that is used there is the, is the word Elohim, which, which means kind of the, the powerful, creative, awesome God, kind of that, that idea, just this general idea of the most powerful one. That's God's power. But what's interesting is when you get over in verse 7 and following, you'll notice that the word for God in our Bibles doesn't say God. It says Lord, and it's all cap. When you see that in your Old Testament, it references the, the name Yahweh. It's God's personal name that he gave in his conversation with Moses at the burning bush when Moses said, who are you? And God said, I'm, I'm Yahweh God. I'm, I'm the one who, who is. And what we see both of those listed here, it lets us know that the God who is all-powerful is also the God who is interested in relationship with us. So that when God is communicating through the creative world, when God is communicating through the Scripture, He's not just talking to people in a generic sense, He's talking to you. So are you going to answer? Are you going to look around and receive the message that He is extending through nature? Are you going to look around and receive the message that he's extending through Scripture? Are you going to put yourself in a position to do that? The question we need to ask is, are we looking? The second question I, I think we need to ask is this. Are we praising him? Are we praising the God of wonder? As you look, is your response one of praise? I would invite you just to take an experiment this week and just every time you experience something that is either awesome or is encouraging or whatever, rather than just looking at that thing and saying thanks or looking at that thing and just smiling, intentionally take the step of looking and seeing that thing and then saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sunset. Thank you, Lord, for the sun that is in the sky. Thank you, Lord, for my family that is around me and the encouragement that you provide me through them. Thank you, Lord, for the friends in the church family. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you've placed in front of me. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Scripture that we are reading here now. Taking a moment and don't just have your life be just about you or about the thing that you're experiencing, but allow that thing to point you the God who created you. Third thing that we can do in response, are you witnessing about the wonderful God? Here's the thing. If God is communicating about his glory consistently, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year through the created order, that means that everybody has some understanding of who God is. They have some category for that, but they might not know the reality of who he is. They might know that there is a God, but they don't know his name. They don't know what he's like. One of the great privileges we have is to enter into relationship with people and help fill in the gaps about the God that they are observing, but they don't know. Philip Brooks was a, a man that 
had a ministry with, with Helen Keller. You might remember Helen Keller from years ago, could not see, could not hear. And when Philip Brooks was ministering to her, he, he told her about the God who created her and the God who existed. He told her about Jesus Christ. And as he is telling her about these things, you know what her response was? I always knew there was a God. I just didn't know his name. Friends, when we talk to others about Christ, we're not starting from zero. Now, there may be different levels of progress in that conversation, but when we give testimony, we are filling out revelation for them about who God is when we tell them about Jesus Christ. Are we looking around? Are we praising him? Are we witnessing about him? We, we have an opportunity to do that this week. It's part of the reason why we're having VBS. Every one of those leaders with those kids is filling out the detail of who Jesus is in the life of a young mind. The fourth thing we can do in response, though, is we can repent. Are we repenting to our wonderful God? It's interesting, this is where David ends in his psalm. Notice what he said about the sun. The sun moves across the sky, and he says, who is what? Hidden from its heat. In other words, we're exposed to the sun. And then he goes into the detail of the Scripture, and he understood that the Scripture is piercing to the depths of our soul, that God can see everything that goes on in our life, and that he has a holy standard, and we are fallen, and we are broken, and we fall short of that. And, and David, reflecting on that, ends in, in verses 12 and following, and he says, Lord, who can discern his errors? You are discerning my errors, God, David says. Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. I, I need your help. If you can see this, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. Verse 13, he says, he begins this process of, of turning away from that sin that is exposed under the sun and under the scriptures. He says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them have no dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He says, Lord, I want to turn away from those things that are exposed, and I want to turn towards you. Give me a, a help to turn away from this and to turn towards you. And he concludes in verse 14 with this amazing prayer that you've probably prayed this prayer before or heard it. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And then look at how he addresses the Lord. My rock and my redeemer. David knew that he needed a redeemer. He needed one who could forgive him of his sin that was exposed. He couldn't work his way back to God. He needed someone else to be his rock and his stability in the midst of his peril. And he turned to God and he said, God, would you forgive me and would you protect me? In the same way today, in response to the reality that God sees it all and we, there's nowhere we can go to escape from him, may we run to the cross and remember our Redeemer Jesus who died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven. May we stand on the rock of Christ that we might be able to weather the storms as they come in this life. And friends, when I, when I talk about that message in response to the reality that God sees and knows, all of us here understand that this is an important step for each of us to take. And for some of you, uh, this is a step that 
you might be affirming a decision that you made years ago to trust in Christ as your rock and your redeemer. But for others of you, today might be the first time uh, that you might be face-to-face with this reality that there's a God out there, and you're beginning to know more of who He is, and you want to turn to Him as your rock and your redeemer. And so here's what I would like for us to do as we prepare to conclude our service. I would like for all of us to stand. And as you stand, we've got the words here to Psalm 19, 14 on the screen. And and I want us to just take a look at those, and then we're going to have an opportunity to pray those words together. And if, if this is a prayer that expresses the desire of your heart, if God in Jesus is your rock and your redeemer, um, that you would be able to pray this prayer aloud with us today, whether that's a reaffirmation of the faith that already exists inside of you or whether this is the origin of that today. Let's take a moment and let's pray this together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pray that prayer and to find solace in in you, our rock and redeemer. And we pray now as we worship you and and sing to you, our God of wonders, uh, that you would be honored. We thank you. We can look and know you because of the Son and the Scripture, the Son of God that connects us to you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.